Most people in the United States anyway would call today Halloween, a holiday that we don't usually celebrate in church. Um, but does anybody know, are we having, there we go, but does anybody know why we call it Halloween? All Hallows Eve, okay, okay, does anybody know what All Hallows Eve is? Or All, Hall, All Saints Day, which is November 1st, anybody know what that is? I bet Doc Noer knows what it is. Okay, so All Saints Day in the, in the past, in the church, um, was a day where they would celebrate, traditionally celebrate or remember dead saints. And so when you celebrate dead people, like, uh, you know, we might do that on Memorial Day or the, past, the anniversary of a passing of a loved per- person, what do you do when you celebrate someone who's passed? You go to the cemetery, right? And you remember them. So that's what All Saints Day was. And, and so somehow we took that cemetery and we, we added like ghosts and goblins and creepy things and all sorts of horror to that. And that's what we have when we say Halloween. We don't think of saints, even though hollow or to be hallowed is to, is, means to be holy or to be a saint uh, in the old English. And so we took that word All Hallows Eve, turned it into Halloween, and we kind of see where it came from. Now, today as we continue our study in Matthew, we are looking closely at the Lord's Prayer, which you can find in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. And the first petition of the Lord's Prayer goes like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Isn't it interesting that on Halloween, we're talking about God's name being hallowed. And now you have some idea of what that actually means. Hallowed be your name. I'm going to put up here a different version, if you will, of the Lord's Prayer so that we can see the whole thing here. It says like this, Matthew 6, 9 through 10, therefore pray like this. Our Father in heaven, let your name be regarded as holy. That's what the word hallowed means. Let, let your name be regarded as holy. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be accomplished as in heaven, so on earth. And so when Jesus stops and he teaches his disciples to pray, this is how he begins. It's a God-focused petition and really three petitions tied together with that last phrase at the end, as in heaven, so on earth. So, and it's crucial for us to understand that for Jesus, our addressing of prayer begins uh, with what Matt Fisher talked about last week. And thank you for preaching last week, Matt. He talked about God being our father, and when we come to prayer, we address God as our father. We begin by getting right to whom we're praying. Who are we praying to? It's our father in heaven, the one who calls us sons and daughters. So we get that right, and then we begin asking God for things, and this is what Jesus tells us to ask for, these petitions. And what we ask for begins with God as well. We we would be concerned with his name being regarded as holy with his kingdom and with his will. Now, most of your Bibles, if you open your Bible, you look there in verse nine, you probably have a translation that says, hallowed be your name, even though this is um, kind of archaic wording. It's kind of old-fashioned wording. It's not a word that you use at school 
It's not a word that you hear on TV very much. It's not a word that you use in conversation at the store or with your, with your spouse or with your kids. It's just not something we use. But because so many people have memorized the Lord's Prayer with that phrase, hallowed be thy name, from the old King James Version, we continue to use that in modern English translations. But it's a bit outdated. A few English translations capture the request in more modern language. So the the New Living Translation says, may your name be kept holy. And the, the Christian Standard Bible says, your name be honored as holy. Or in this translation, let your name be regarded as holy. This is a plea to God. It's a plea that God would have the highest possible reputation, that he would as he deserves, have the highest honor, the highest glory in the eyes of all people. If if I were to say about somebody maybe who, um, let's say say King's Auto, for, for instance. Hey, you know King's Auto, they have a good name in our community as a good auto shop. Or if I were to talk about someone, you know so and so, they're a plumber and they don't have a very good name in our community. You would know that I'm not specifically speaking about their literal name. You would understand that I'm speaking of their reputation. So when we pray for God's name to be reverenced or to be, to be honored, we're praying that his reputation would be upheld, that it would be revered on planet Earth in the exact same way that it's revered or honored in heaven, which is to say fully and perfectly. So for God's name to be revered and honored, also means that he would be feared or that he would be held in awe. How many of you kids ever say something is awesome? Is that still a thing or is that just me? When I was a kid. Okay, that's that's still a word. All right, I'm not totally outdated. So when something is awesome, right, it's really cool, it's really neat, but originally the word awesome actually meant awe-inspiring or fear-inspiring. For something to be awesome would be that it would, would strike us with awe, that, we, that our jaws would drop to the floor, that we would stop, that we would even tremble in our boots. And so um, in Isaiah chapter 29, 23, it says this, Israel will sanctify or, or regard God's name as holy. They will sanctify or regard as holy the Holy One of Jacob, and they will stand in awe of the God of Israel. They will see him and they will be in awe. They will fear him. And it's right and good for us to stand in awe of God because he is holy. This isn't a prayer where we're asking God to become more holy. He can't be more holy. He is perfectly holy. This is a prayer asking for us and the world to see God as holy. We know he's perfectly holy. As the, as the angels cried out in the temple when Isaiah saw his vision of God, and they said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. So God isn't just holy. He isn't just holy, holy. He is holy, holy, holy. Stack up those holies. You can't get any more holier than God is. And God's holiness means that he's set apart, that he's separate, that he's completely different than everything and anyone else in the universe. His holiness also means that he's pure and he's perfect, he's sinless, he's complete and whole. So so in all that God is, he is fully all that he is. In everything that God is, he is fully, completely perfect all that he is. So so for God's name to be treated as holy, 
to be honored as it should be is for him to occupy his rightful place both in heaven and on earth. It's, it's for him to be seen and to be known for who he is. It's for him to be loved and cherished appropriately. It's, him, it's for him to get the credit that he deserves for who he is and for what he's done. God's name deserves the highest honor. And we'll find in scripture as well that God is actually jealous for his name to be honored. He wants his name to be honored. And I would say more than anything else, that's what he wants. So another way we talk about God's name being regarded as holy is for him to receive glory. And this is a a term that gets used synonymously or in the same way as his name. So take, for instance, Psalm chapter 79, verse 9. It says, help us, O God, of our salvation for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. And you can see that those two lines, for the glory of your name and for your name's sake, are parallel. His glory and his honor are one and the same. And God does everything that he does for the sake or for the glory of his name. Now, I don't have time to really unpack this morning why that's not a bad thing that God is all about himself. It's actually a really good thing. It's as it should be. And everything that we do and and think and say should be about him as well. So consider the words of Isaiah from Isaiah 42, verse eight. He says, God says, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Isaiah 48, 9 through 11, for my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you that, you may not, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. For my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory, I will not give to another. What's one of the first things you learn in kindergarten? To share. God is not being very shareful here. He's not going to share his glory. He's not going to share his praise with another. He said, all the glory of my name is mine and I will keep it. I will not give it to another God. No one else will have the glory before me. God is jealous for his glory and rightly so because he deserves all the glory. And God restrains his anger. He saves people. He forgives sins, not mainly for our sake, but for his own sake. That that doesn't mean that he doesn't love us. He loves us intensely, but he loves us so much that he wants to give us himself. And he does it for his own glory. Let's look here at Ezekiel chapter 36. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord Yahweh, the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord. I am Yahweh, declares the Lord Yahweh. When through you I vindicate my holiness, before their eyes. So God will even use Israel, God will even use his people to bring about praise and honor for his name. God is in the business of guarding his reputation 
of guarding his holiness, of guarding his glory. And when we pray the Lord's Prayer, when we pray these words of Jesus and say, hallowed be your name, may may your name be regarded as holy, and we generally ask God to uphold his own reputation, we are actually praying for something that God has already promised that he has already said he would do and for something that perfectly aligns with his desires and his heart for his own name. You can't truly pray hallowed be your name and be out of the will of God in your prayer. So God is jealous for his name and his son Jesus did all that he did to glorify his father's name. We heard Colleen read for us a few minutes ago, John chapter 12, verses 20 to 28. And we hear in those words of Jesus the very reason for everything he did, which actually included his suffering and death. So let's revisit those for a moment. John 12, verse 23 and 24. The hour has come, this is Jesus speaking. It says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And here he's speaking of his death. We'll see that in just a moment. But he's speaking of his death when he will be glorified. In his death, in his suffering, in his persecution, in his murder, he will actually be glorified in that. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Now, now think of Jesus' relationship with his father. He could ask his father for anything. In fact, in the garden he does. If this, if this cup can be taken from me, then please take it, God. Father, should, you, should I ask that you save me from this hour? But then he says, for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. God is, or Jesus is praying that even through his death, even through his suffering, even through his angst and anguish, that God would be glorified in that. And God says, yes, I will glorify myself through your death, through your sacrifice. Jesus wanted more than anything to bring honor and fame to God's reputation rather than tapping into his relationship with the Father just to alleviate his own suffering. He would take on suffering for the glory of God. So God's God's highest desire is that his name be honored. Jesus did everything that he could for the honor of his name. And now we must ask the question, what is our place in God's glory? What is our place in bringing honor to God's name? What do you think our highest priority should be? Bringing honor to God's name, bringing glory to his name. And I'll give you three things here. First of all, we must pray for God's glory. So when Jesus directs us to pray, hallowed be your name, or may your your name be regarded as holy, he's inviting us to be willing participants in God's glory. To be willing and active participants in God's glory. But first of all, we have to remember, in the context of prayer, we find this address, our Father who is in heaven. So Jesus has given us access into this father-child relationship. So if you belong to Jesus, you're a a son or a daughter of the Father in heaven. And there's no need when we come to our Father to, to make ourselves look really good and clean ourselves up first. There's no need for us to come begging, just hoping that he'll listen. Kingdom people be 
pray because we know we have a Father that listens to us. And not only that, but we delight to be with our Father. That, to Jesus, that's exactly what prayer was, was being with his Father. And those who delight in the Father's presence will naturally and completely delight in the Father's honor. And one of, the, one of the mysteries of prayer, there's a lot of mysteries to prayer, that when we come and we talk to God, that he actually uses us to fulfill his goals and plans. Does God need, a, need our help? Does he need our prayers? He can do anything he wants without us, and yet he invites us in to fulfill his goals and plans. He invites us to partner with him in that. He gives us that honor. God is so devoted to his glory that he invites us in to partner with him in bringing his glory in the world. And so our place in God's glory is to pray for it, to pray, hallowed be your name, over and over again and and mean it. When we pray, we must pray, I believe, with reverence. Pray as if he were holy. How, how does our approach then, this is, this is where attention comes in in prayer, another mystery, that here we have a, have a father who has called us to, to be with him in intimacy and yet approach him at the same time in deep reverence. He is in heaven, we are not. Father in heaven, let your name be regarded as holy. We come to him as father, we come to him with reverence. And I think the answer to that tension is that we approach God's holiness in the surety of his fatherhood. We approach him in his holiness knowing that he is father, knowing that he has accepted us through Jesus Christ as his children. Yes, we come in reverence. We even come with our knees knocking together a little bit in awe and in fear because we know him as he's portrayed in scripture, which is completely holy. And yet we come to this holy God and in the context of a relationship And I think any of us could understand that you can be completely confident in your daddy's love for you and yet still retain a healthy fear and reverence for him. So the hallowing of God's name comes from this place of intimate relationship. It doesn't come with God at a cold distance from us. Our father is approached familiarly. I don't know if that's a word. Familiarly, is that a weird word? Tom Hall says it's a real word. Familiarly, but not flippantly. We approach God with familiarity, but not flippantly. Not just as another dude on the beach. Not as one of the guys we work with or a kid that we run into at the skate park. We, we approach him with familiarity, but he is a completely holy God who is jealous for his name. And this, this reverencing of God, this, this treating of his name as it truly is, as holy, begins in our hearts. Because God is jealous for his name to be honored, we should be too. You think of a child on, on the playground, eager to defend her daddy as the best or the strongest We should be that same way towards God. A few days ago, uh, Carrie texted me a picture of a hangman game that Maggie and Daisy had played on the whiteboard in our schoolroom. And she texted that to me just to reassure me that I'm loved. And this is what Maggie chose to to be the hangman clue. I love my dad. And I thought that was sweet. 
And I feel, as a father, I feel the deepest possible affection for my children. And as a human father, I'm humbled at the deep affection that I receive from my children. So Daisy will come up to me, she'll grab me as hard as she can around the neck, she's seven years old, and she'll just say, I love you so much. And amazingly, my kids, I mean, until they come to their senses and grow out of it, my kids think I can do no wrong. And I think this is the kind of relationship that God desires with us, one in which when we enter into the presence of God our Father, our first response should be something akin to, you are just the best. You are the greatest. You are so worthy. You're the best. And you can, you can hear in that an intimacy of relationship, but also a reverencing and an honoring and an uplifting where it's well-deserved. There's a deep affection and a genuine love, but there's also a weighty reverence. We should pray like Isaiah in Isaiah 26, your name, God, and remembrance are the desire of our soul. Or as Melissa read in Psalm 73 this morning, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And for me, it is good to be near God. See, kingdom people are people who love God so much that his honor and his fame and his glory is foremost in their minds. They want God to be known and they want him to be treated as he deserves to be. But is that the case in this world? Do we live in a world where God's name is treated as it deserves to be? We we see that we live in a world where his honor is lacking. And so for the last point here, we must seek God's honor where it is lacking. Just a, a few metaphors here, but you might think of God's rightful position in the heavens and on the earth is like the sun at the center of the solar system that keeps all of the planets in their rightful orbit. You remove the sun and everything goes to chaos. You might think of it as ballast that is is put in a ship to keep it centered, to keep it upright, to keep it stable. You might think of God's honor and his name as like true magnetic north that orients the entire universe to its sheer force, the sheer force of its presence. And you know, in any of those illustrations, if, if God does not have his rightful place, if you remove the sun, if you take the ballast out of the ship, if you take the North Pole off the earth, then everything else will be off. I don't know if you remember the movie from about 25 years ago. I'm dating myself now. It seems like I watched it a few days ago. A long time. I haven't seen it in a long time. It's called The Edge. And it stars Anthony Hopkins and Alec Baldwin and a really big grizzly bear. There's like the three main characters in the movie. And Alec Baldwin and Anthony Hopkins, they get in a, in a plane wreck in Alaska, and they're the, the two people that survive, and it's basically the story of trying to survive while this man-eating grizzly is after them, right? And there's one point, Anthony Hopkins is really smart, but he's never really been out in the wilderness. He doesn't, he doesn't 
practically know. He's never experienced survival, but he knows all this stuff. And so they're trying to orient themselves, but they don't have a compass. So they, they come across this old stump, and in the stump, there's a puddle of water in it. And so what he does, he takes a leaf and he sets it in the water. And then for some reason, he's got a needle, just a sewing needle. He takes the needle and he magnetizes it somehow. I don't remember how. Magnetizes it and he sets it on top of the leaf. And in that water, it acts like a compass. And so that that needle orients towards magnetic north. So they can kind of orient themselves and figure it out. Well, not to give much of the movie away, but later on in the movie, he realizes that Alec Baldwin, he's got this belt buckle on or something that's either magnetized or something, but it throws the whole thing off. So every time they use this compass, he's standing there and it's just pointing at his belt buckle. And so they completely disorient themselves. They think they know where they're going and where they're at, but they really don't because something is pulling the disorientation off. And it's that same exact thing that when God is not at the center of our affections and our life, when when his name is not honored in our hearts and in our world as it should be, everything is off. And Jesus' prayer here, the words that he would put into our mouths and in our hearts to bring to the Father regularly implies that there is a place in the universe where God has his rightful place, where he's given his rightful honor, and it's called in heaven. And there's also implied a place in the universe in which God has not been given his rightful honor on earth. God's name is not regarded as holy when there are other things in our hearts and in our lives that occupy his rightful place. And brothers and sisters, it must start with our own hearts. We can't start pointing the fingers at other people that we think are off or dishonoring God until we've dealt with it in our hearts. God says to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter nine, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread, but the Lord, Yahweh of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And the idea here could easily, easily be applied to our current context. If you can't see it in that verse, I'm not sure what to say. When our lives and hearts and minds become centered around a false north or or oriented to a false north, when, when the fears and conspiracies and ideologies and priorities of this world orient us rather than the honor and fear of God which keeps him at the center of our thoughts and our affections and our desires and our posture and our orientation, Everything will be off. If God, is, if God is honored as holy in our lives, then our entire lives will be oriented. Brothers and sisters, get this. Our lives will be oriented in a different way than those of the people around us. We will look different. We'll care about different things. We'll talk a different way. We'll treat people a different way. We'll spend our money and our time in a different way. And this will cause issues. It will cause tension in our relationships. It will cause friction like it did for Jeremiah or for Jesus or for Paul or Peter, as the psalmist says in Psalm 69, for it is for your sake that I have borne reproach, that dishonor has covered my face, for zeal for your house has consumed me. I'm zealous for your name, God, and yet I bear the reproaches of those who reproach you. Those have fallen on me. 
I'm not very popular because I love you, God. This is what happens when we orient our lives to God's honor. We've already seen that in order to glorify God, Jesus willingly walked a path of suffering. He went to his death. And mysteriously, again, there's another mystery that we unpack here. Mysteriously, in God, the way that God has ordered the world, suffering is often the God-ordained path in a world that doesn't honor him for those who desire God's name to be honored above their own. And so enduring suffering for God's name actually shows the world that God's name is more important than our own comfort. If I say, okay, I want to honor God's name, but to do that, I have to get through this suffering, so many times we'll choose to go a different path. But to honor God's name and to hold it as as more holy and more worthwhile than anything often means that we go directly through suffering. And so Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 3. This is a man who would eventually, as the story goes, be crucified upside down for his faith in his master and Lord and friend, Jesus Christ. Here's what he says. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Honor Christ the Lord as holy. May his name be regarded as holy in your hearts. Honor Christ the Lord as holy in your hearts, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Then verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. God has sovereignly connected his glory in this world, his name, his reputation. He has staked it on the cross of Jesus Christ. He has staked his glory to the cross forever. And on top of that, He's done a crazy thing and he's staked his reputation on his people. He said, the way that you act, that's what the world will see. That's how the world will know who I am is how you live your life. So he's connected his glory to the cross. He's connected his glory to, the, to his people. And then he looks at his followers and he says what? If anyone will follow me, he will take up his cross and follow me. If anyone will come after me, he'll take up his cross and follow me. So when we pick up our cross and when we follow him and declare to the world in our, that in our hearts and in our lives, our father is holy, he's worthy of our love, our trust in our lives, then the suffering that we take on with Jesus mysteriously actually brings the Lord's prayer to fruition. Hallowed be your name. Will you pray with me? Our Father, prayer is a great mystery. We don't understand the the inward and the outward workings of all of it, but it is clear to us, Jesus, that you loved your Father's glory. You wanted him to be glorified and you would endure the suffering of the cross, that you would despise its shame for the joy set before you, the joy of his glory, the, the glory that you earn that you achieved by bearing much fruit and and we are that fruit God 
We are the fruit of your suffering and, and we are created to bring honor to your name. So God, my prayer for us today is that our hearts would be shifted, our hearts would be changed, our hearts would be reoriented this morning around your glory, around your honor. Lord, that everything we think and say and do, the way that we spend our time, the way that we talk to others, the, the priorities we have, the, and the things that, we, that come out of our mouths, God, that everything that we do would be to honor and bring glory to your name. God, would your name be regarded as holy in our midst and in our lives, and may you receive all the glory as you so well deserve. Father, we love you. We thank you for opening a way through Jesus into your presence. And I do pray that if there are those who are here today who've never walked through that, who've never come to Jesus to receive forgiveness and come as a son or daughter of the King to you, Father, that that would happen today, that you would do that. Father, may your name be honored and glorified in all things and in us. In your name we pray, amen.